of Factionist Musicians Podcast. Take action to find healthy perfectionism. Discussions about the background of successful careers in music, performance, arts and science. Welcome to the Perfectionist Podcast's very first episode. The series provides information about different practices and tools that may give new approaches to change our way of thinking. So it aims to inspire musicians and non-musicians to take action to become healthy perfectionists. In this very first episode of Perfectionist, the discussion is particularly dedicated to classical musicians in which with Dr. Bridget Renissalonen, principal flutist and licensed body mapping educator, we talk about how much the body and the mind are equally important in healthy musicianship. I hope that the knowledge Bridget shares with us will get you inspired to apply it in your daily routines so that you will become more confident and balanced music performers. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to say a couple of words about Bridget, who is the very first guest in the Perfectionist podcast. Dr. Bridget Renissalonen is principal flautist as well as researcher and practitioner in performing arts health, specializing in somatic learning. As a licensed body mapping educator, she represents South Africa on the International Musicians Health Literacy Consortium. Her PhD focused on a musician's occupational health curriculum and currently Bridget is a postdoctoral fellow and part-time lecturer at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Bridget is also a highly accomplished flutist. Currently she is principal flute of the Cape Town Festival Orchestra and as a flutist she has been active for over 25 years in the South African classical music scene. She received numerous awards and prizes for her musical roles she undertook, including the prestigious Carklin Award for Artistic Excellence. Bridget is highly sought after as a flute teacher as well, and many of her students have excelled internationally and nationally, auditioning successfully for positions in South African orchestras. So welcome, Bridget, as the first guest invited to the launching episode of the Perfectionist podcast. In the introduction, I mentioned that you are a musician's health practitioner and body mapping educator. Can you describe to us what actually is the body mapping method? Thank you very much, Emesha, for having me here today with you. I'm very pleased to be able to share some of my work and I'm very honored that you've asked me to come and talk on your podcast series. So about the body mapping method, um, it's a somatic method. And a somatic approach or method helps anyone to train their movement and their posture. And now what's interesting about the body mapping method is that it's the only somatic practice which focuses specifically on musicians and can actually be integrated into music lessons. And musicians learn to use their bodies much more efficiently in terms of their biomechanics because uh, they're able to learn relevant anatomical information. And I say relevant because obviously one doesn't want to overwhelm anyone with too much anatomy. So relevant anatomical information, and very importantly, they learn 
improved sensory awareness skills. So by that, I mean a kinesthetic or proprioceptive sense, in general, a more integrated sensory awareness, and also the places of balance in the body, or perhaps how the legs work to really support the upper body, and so on. In our training as body mapping educators, we are taught very clearly what our professional skill set is and what we are qualified to do and what we are not qualified to do. For example, any musician patient that I see, I will always send them to a medical and or health professional to first check whatever issues they are having. And once the medical side is cleared, then I can work with them as a musician's health practitioner. So none of this replaces proper medical treatment and diagnosis and advice and instructions. How does it look like in practice? So let's imagine that a musician approaches you, let's be a flutist, because I know you, you are an excellent flutist. They would have certain problems. Are they aware of these problems or is it that you tell them that you notice something that perhaps they didn't know and what does it change? Ah, that's a very very good question. Well perhaps what I should first say is just explain a little bit about how body mapping actually works, about how we do it. And to give a little bit of background, body mapping has its origins in the Alexander technique which many musicians use already and in fact, the two practices, body mapping and the Alexander technique, are quite similar in that they both are focused on retraining movement and kinesthetic awareness, as I mentioned before. And the result is a very much more balanced and efficient ability with movement in the body. But here's the important thing. The difference between the body mapping method and the Alexander technique is that it is done differently. The Alexander technique relies on extensive hands-on movement work, but a body mapping teacher does not do hands-on teaching, but we use visual aids, um, anatomical models, so we rock up with our skeletons and our skulls and our arms, <laughs> the bones, um, we also use verbal instructions, we demonstrate a lot, we carefully observe our student to provide feedback to them, and so on. We also teach them how to apply this anatomical information to their own movement and posture, and to develop and, um, their own sensory awareness in a way that's relevant to their playing of their instrument or their singing. So that perhaps helps a little bit in terms of understanding what body mapping is. And now to answer the other part of your question, which has got to do with the problems that we as music teachers notice in our students, in my case specifically as a flute teacher, and um, are students aware of these issues or not? And how do we address those issues? Perhaps the issues that we notice a lot are things like postural issues like excess tension or squeezing or gripping the instrument too tightly. Perhaps the head and neck is collapsed forward, the shoulders are slumped, or perhaps even the opposite. The shoulder and the back is very tense and the person is trying to stand up very straight and they're arching their back and their back muscles are very stiff. What we often see 
is that the music students are not necessarily aware of the actual issue, but they notice the consequences of the issue. So they might say something to me as a teacher, they might say, oh, my breathing feels really tight. Or they might say, my fingers feel so uneven, or my fingers feel restricted, or I can't control my fingers. Or they might say, I'm struggling to get the sound that I want, but I don't know what's giving me that, that struggle. So in a sense, I think where the body mapping has its magic is that it teaches awareness. And so we're able to bring this teaching of awareness skills into the music lesson so that the student can start actually figuring out a little more of what they're doing and not only be aware of the consequence musically or technically, but to actually know what is causing that. Because the developing the kinesthetic or proprioceptive awareness is, like I said, a kind of a magic key that unlocks another whole world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we use things like a mirror and teaching really slow practice, giving the student time to check into their body to check into the musical aspect, check into what technique they actually want to use to accomplish their musical intentions. And also, of course, very importantly, to, to teach the, the music student uh, effective and efficient practicing tools. Yes. So what happens when they realize that they did something differently, which wasn't very useful for them? Right, so what often happens is there's great excitement at first because this new world has been discovered of, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was doing that. And now I can sense when I squeeze my hands too hard on the instrument. Or now I can sense that my shoulders are doing this or that. Or now I can sense that my, my breathing... Uh, or my ribs, let's say, my ribs are moving in a particular way or something. So they, they suddenly become aware of, of um, a whole lot of new stuff and it's really exciting for them. So the initial reactions and emotions are around that inspiration, that excitement, that fun aspect of discovery. But after a while, there also has to become a realization of the fact that new skills take practice integrating new skills into whatever one is doing take time and take a sense of responsibility and gradual development so there are no quick fixes in a way that may cause a little bit of disappointment actually or a little bit of worry or a little bit of stress because some students will want a quick fix they want me to wave a magic wand that suddenly solves all their problems and I can't do that. So the next step actually is for the student to take responsibility for what they're doing, to understand the value of slow practice, to understand the process of gradually developing awareness and um, acquiring new skills and integrating them, and to work with a deepening sense of mindfulness, perhaps one would call it uh, improving their self-regulation abilities, monitoring their goals, monitoring their expectations, 
and gradually integrating everything beautifully in that way, which then becomes the most positive and exciting journey. So probably you just described what you meant by slow practice, because I wanted to interrupt. Actually, I didn't want to interrupt to ask you because you were talking that when you said slow practice, I was exactly imagining that slowing everything down, not pushing, not, for, not forcing that much, not wanting the result that desperately, but allowing to exactly monitor the mind and the body in the same time. Correct. It becomes a gradual process of discovery. And the curve of improvement is exponential. The more thoroughly and slowly it's done in the beginning, the steeper the exponential curve becomes. And but later. Faster, yes, and the faster the progress is. So over time, the progress is actually fast, but in the beginning, it needs to be a slow and mindful and very deep approach to practice and acquiring um, new awareness skills. And it has to be a gentle and positive and happy process with fun and empathy towards oneself. And whilst one can be very focused and enthusiastic and disciplined and all of those things, one has to keep a broad perspective and um, not be over analytical and be over critical and over detailed, but balance uh, attention to detail with attention to the whole, maintaining a broad perspective. So when you say overcritical and overanalytical, is it that younger, inexperienced musicians or musicians with less experience would pick on something that you would call not a major issue? You would teach them to overcome those and accept that they happen and they will disappear slowly as time passes? That's correct also. Uh, it depends on the age and level of the student. So it's very important always that uh, the repertoire being learned, the expectations of the student, the expectations of the teacher, and the level of challenge, the number of new skills being learned, and so on. All of those things are appropriate and well matched. If those things are out of balance, then it causes stress and tension and often over-analysis because the system is overloaded. So we need to have some challenge built in. We need to have some learning curve. That's of course very important because that's that whole aspect of growth and learning and change. But we also need to have consolidation and step-by-step -step approach. I, I guess you have a lot of experience also observing musicians what is your view? What have you noticed that are musicians really aware of these things that we, we just talked about now? Um, more and more musicians are becoming aware of these things because it goes with uh, the general um, awareness of mindfulness and uh, self-understanding and identity development and all those kinds of things which are developing in many different fields, not only in the performing arts and not only in music, of course, in sport and athletes know these things very well. So I think there is um, some awareness, but it depends often on the background that the musician comes from. Um, some mus musicians are taught um, in such a way that everything is about competition and it kind of relates to that 
whether one deals with oneself in a compassionate way or if one deals with oneself in a more competitive and critical way. So it's a lot to do with the musician's own perspective of themselves. I think to answer your question, one would consider that the teaching background that the musician has had and also the background of that particular music teacher and how much emphasis there was on competition and comparison or emphasis more on self-development, self-compassion re and reaching one's own goals in a realistic way. So many of these aspects are already present in athletic training, in sports, in sports science and in many other fields. And I think in music these awarenesses are also developing and we see very different types of awareness in, in different people, in different musicians, in different music studios. It kind of depends on the ethos, as I said, that the musician is surrounded by um, their background. For example, even in orchestras, some orchestras are very intense and stressed places because of the pressure placed on musicians to be perfect all the time. Whereas other orchestras may be more understanding and compassionate. The ethos does vary a lot from place to place, from teacher to teacher, and so on. I think it's just important that one moves gradually away from this emphasis on perfection, because the goal of perfection as a performing artist is a dangerous one because it's elusive. Is one ever going to reach perfection? I think one should rather strive for excellence. And I suppose it depends how one describes perfection, but or one's definition of perfection, and then I suppose one could get into the semantics of that, but it's about aiming for excellence rather than aiming for perfection, I think. When you were talking about uh, the difference between someone having a more competitive up upbringing in terms of music, or others come from a more compassionate and supportive, uh, accepting environment, I was thinking that perhaps you're suggesting that not everyone likes uh, this very smooth and lack of competition environment. So did, did you want to say that, that someone really likes to be inspired uh, by and run by, by competition? Well, yes, there's a lot of research done on this, which is how much competition is healthy, basically. So competition in any kind of pedagogy is a good thing, actually, because manageable levels of competition and manageable means manageable in terms of each person's perception of that competition and how it's handled in the educational setting but of course uh, competition is a valuable tool for working towards goals for achievement for improvement for a positive growth mindset for um, technical development as a musician for upping your game so to speak so I think competition can be fantastic, but there's a very delicate psychology around that, which has to be handled very well by the particular context the student is in and the teaching approach that is used. And if it's a, a child who still lives at home, then of course, the attitude of the parents and how everybody supports the student sensibly in that way. Just talking about perfection, this is a psychological issue. What is your experience about psychological issues causing bodily issues at musicians? I think that's a big one. 
in in my practice as a music teacher and a musician's health practitioner i need to make one thing clear always which is that i am not a psychologist and i do not um, work professionally in that way with any of my musician clients however psychological issues in musicians will definitely contribute to the, their physiological aspects such as body posture and so on and um, this reciprocal link both directions there's constant feedback in both ways you know one could say muscular tension is on the one hand and mental tension is on the other hand and these two things will interact all the time so i think one just has to bear in mind as a musician's health practitioner myself and as a music educator that one is working with a musician in a holistic way because of this reciprocal link um, I could perhaps give, um, give, give an example. Um, if a musician is not properly prepared, their feeling of not being prepared will, of course, induce a feeling of fear. And with that feeling of fear, the body will tense and hold tight as a defense mechanism. Um, we might see that, for example, in an area of the body like the jaw, where the jaw and the tongue and the throat will be very tense if that person is feeling very, uh, very, very fearful of not being prepared. So as a music teacher, I will address that initially from the aspect of that lack of preparation. So for example, I could work on more efficient practicing methods, really guiding the students to feel more prepared, which then will have the result of the student feeling much more confident because they feel more prepared, which therefore means that their body will not be so tense in that defensive way. So that's a little bit of a superficial example, but I think it is quite an important example because practicing methods, for example, are often not taught really well to students. And um, it's kind of assumed that every musician knows how to practice, but it may not be so, you know. So, so there's an example where the psychological and physical aspects are so interlinked and even a music teacher can play a very very important role there in helping that music student psychologically even though they're just working as a music teacher teaching the music student really good practicing tools so this is where we stopped with bridget in the first episode of the perfectionist podcast in two weeks time from now in the second part of our discussion we will talk about the importance of self-acceptance, the positive outcomes of the right bodily use and the way these new skills can be integrated into the musical practice. And also Bridget will give away the main points of effective practicing. If you have questions that interest you or you would like to learn more about a certain topic, please share with me them in a comment below and any request you may have just write it down in a comment and I will make sure that I will address them in a different podcast in the future and until the next episode remember done is better than perfect <laughs>